We're going to be talking about Matthew chapter 4. Before I begin, let me just say I am sorry I haven't posted anything in over three weeks. Uh, we decided to take some time off, and I've also been busy on top of that. So I'm going to continue our study of Matthew chapter 4, and I'm going to go ahead and jump right into this. And uh, I'm, instead of picking up where we left off because it's been so long, I'm going to go ahead and start from the beginning of Matthew chapter 4. So let's start with Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And the word tempted is an interesting word here. It's parazzo, uh, and it means to uh, scrutinize, to entice, to discipline, obviously to test. It means to try whether a thing can be done, to attempt, endeavor, to try, make trial of, test for the purpose of ascertaining his quality or what he thinks or how he will behave uh, himself. Now, we need to know that God does not tempt. The book of James chapter 1 and verse number 13 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So just as God tested Job, Jesus was tested. Before Joseph could rule Egypt, he had to be tested with Potiphar's wife. First he received the dream of prophecy, and then he was tested. Jesus blessed and then broke the bread. We talked about this a little bit last time. Matthew chapter 14, verse 19 talks about when he took the loaves and the fishes. First, he blessed them and then he broke them and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. So before we can be used for God's purposes, we must be blessed or anointed like Jesus at his baptism. And then we must be broken or tested. So after Jesus goes through this powerful moment where he's baptized by John, a voice comes from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then uh, obviously the dove descends from heaven. And we talked about that in the last lesson. So I'm not going to get back into that. But after this powerful moment, then he goes into the wilderness. So if God ever blesses you, get ready because the devil is on the heels of that blessing to tempt you and to test you. And you must needs go through that because that's the proving ground. God's not going to bless you without testing you. So God did not tempt Joseph or Job. Satan did the tempting. However, the spirit, the Bible says, led Jesus into the wilderness, which was a place associated with demonic activity. You can read Isaiah chapter 13, verse 21, Isaiah 34, 14, Matthew 12, 43, Revelation 18 and 2 uh, for proof of this. Now, uh, another thing I would like to say is if you will ever do anything for God, you cannot always stay in a safe place God's calling brings you to uncomfortable places. For instance, Paul being in prison, but while he was in prison, he wrote these words in Philippians 4 and 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am in, therewith to be content. So while in prison, Paul wrote many of the epistles that are in our Bible. Paul understood that prison was where God wanted him at that time. And I've mentioned this before, but the Bible actually talks about when Joseph was put into prison, it called it uh, the king's prison. And sometimes you're going to have to spend time in the king's prison. Uh, and I think you can see what I'm, I'm meaning here. That God puts you in prison for a reason. And notice that Joseph's prison was a setup for his promise. Okay, so uh, let's go back here. The word content, I mentioned whatsoever state we are in, therewith to be content. It means sufficient for oneself, strong enough or possessing enough to need no aid or support, independent of external circumstances, and content, contented with one's lot, uh, with one's means, though uh, the slenderest. 
So if you look at your placement in God's will and lot for your life, you can learn to be content in every situation. You just have to learn that all things work together for the good of them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. And that verse starts off with, and we know. Many times when we quote that, we forget to say that. And we know that all things work together for the good. And I want to ask you here today, if you're a servant of God, do you know that all things work together for good? It's easy to quote that verse. It's kind of hard to remember that when you're in the midst of trying circumstances. And let me just speak. um, Notice that Jesus went into the wilderness. Wilderness is a place of isolation. And it was just him and the devil in the wilderness. We know afterwards the angels came after the temptation, but the Bible says he was out there in the wilderness alone. It was just him and the devil. And it's in places of isolation that the devil likes to play mind games with us, tries to get us to question things we've never questioned before. And let me just give an example. Uh, John the Baptist was a man that we know uh, that he knew who Jesus was because he testified in John chapter 1 that he saw the spirit ascending and descending on him like a dove. And God had said, this is the testimony of, uh, of the one you're preaching about. He pointed at Jesus and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Two of his disciples left at that point and followed him. Later on, when John's put into prison, he begins to question things that he knew. And he sends disciples to Jesus, and he says, Are you he that should come, or look we for another? So John, in his most trying circumstances, in that place of isolation, began to question things he had not questioned before. And it is in a place of uh, of isolation that you will begin to question things. Now notice, Jesus, I understand he's fasting. But in the wilderness, it's not like it was on the cross. Now, he was still isolated. There were people there mocking him. But he's not, outside of being uh, tested with hunger and thirst, uh, it's not just a place where he's being beaten or a place where uh, he's facing tons of ridicule, but it's a place of isolation, a place of weakness. And I can testify to the fact that as long as I know I'm in the will of God, it's... I, will, I won't say easy, but it's easier to go through some of those moments of, of temptation, some of those moments of testing, uh, as long as I know I'm in the will of God. But it's in a place of isolation where you start to question the will of God, and you start to wonder, am I really in the will of God? Did God really say? Uh, and, and let me just go back to Genesis chapter 3 and remind you of what the devil tempted Eve Uh, with the words he used there, and we're going to compare it to what uh, Jesus faced. And let's go over to Genesis chapter 3 again. If you have your Bibles, please follow along with me. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. That word subtle means crafty, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, notice this, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now we've already talked about that in great detail in our Bible 101 series, uh, lesson number 3. So I'm not going to rehash what I've already talked about. But what I do want to bring out here is his first words out of his mouth was, did God really say that? And notice how he tempts Jesus. Because uh, the Bible says in Matthew 4 and uh, 2, it says, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. Okay, Uh, and I'll get into that more here in just a moment. But verse number 3 says, and when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the Son of God. Now let me remind you, what did God say uh, in Matthew chapter number 3? Well, let's let's go back there and read it again. 
Uh, just to kind of give you a reminder here, it says, verse number 16, and Jesus, when he was baptized, this is Matthew 3, 16, uh, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Don't misunderstand me. Jesus knew who he was. Uh, we have record of that. When he was 12 years old, he said, I must be about my father's business. So Jesus knew who he was. However, this voice comes from heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But when he goes out into the wilderness, the devil says, if you really are the son of God, if God really said that to you, prove it, make these stones bread. Now we're going to get more into that in just a moment, but that a lot of times the devil's temptations will come in that, uh, in that way and he's going to get us to question the word of God. That is always his purpose, always his intent. So once again, if God ever blesses you, if God ever places a blessing upon your life, makes you a promise, the devil's going to be on the heels of that blessing to make you question uh, that blessing. And uh, remember, Simon Peter, the, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 16, that uh, Jesus told Simon Peter, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which art in heaven. I say unto thee that thou art Peter, uh, a rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But then we read in Luke chapter number 22 that Jesus told Simon, he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. So why was Satan asking for him? Because God had blessed him. The devil was right on the heels of that blessing to test him. You cannot go through the blessing without the testing, and you've got to prove yourself worthy of it. And one of the ways the devil's going to test you is to get you to question the promises of God. He's going to get you to question the Word of God. Uh, let me just use this illustration. So many times I've, I've seen this happen, and I remember a friend of mine, maybe he'll listen to this, I don't know, and he'll, he'll know I'm talking about him, but I'm not going to call out his name. But a good friend of mine uh, received the gift of the Holy Ghost after he had sought for it for a while, and he, he was so excited, and he couldn't wait to go back and tell his friends and family. Well, uh, I understand the, the uh, desire to go back and tell your friends and family about what God has done for you. But uh, usually when somebody does that, they're going to face ridicule. Uh, they're going to face persecution from their family. That's exactly what happened. When he went back after receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, being baptized in Jesus' name, he went back to his family. His, his uh, wife left him. His parents turned their backs on him, didn't want to talk to him anymore. His brothers cut him off. Uh, he lost his job. It seemed like everything that could go wrong went wrong in his life. Yet that man is still in the church today. And, uh, and he's, he's a strong saint of God. He's a soul winner. God has blessed him since. But uh, I want to tell you that if, if God ever blesses you, and maybe there's somebody out there that you've just received the Holy Ghost, just been baptized in Jesus' name, and you're starting to face some of the things I'm talking about here today. Guess what? When you go back to your family, uh, if your family does not have the Holy Ghost and been baptized in Jesus' name, they're probably going to question what's happened to you. This is a part of that testing. Uh, and, and I'm reminded in, in, in the Bible, and I don't have the passage in front of me. I'm going to try to find it here quickly. But... Uh, Jesus talked about the parable of the sower, and that's Matthew chapter number 13. Uh, in fact, let's go over there real quick, and let's go to the parable of the sower, Matthew chapter number 13, verse number 1. Uh, it says, The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. The fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places 
where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Now let's remember that. That's Matthew 13, 5, and 6. Uh, but then the Bible also says that um, he explains this parable and talks about it later on. Uh, and what, what did he mean by that? Uh, so let's go down and, and read his explanation. And he says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. This is verse 18 of Matthew 13. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. So notice what Jesus is saying. Persecution will come to you. If you're going to be a child of God, there's going to be persecution. And uh, most likely, it, my pastor explains it this way. He said, the Bible says you will reap what you sow. And if you have lived a life of sin for many years, and you've just now received the gift of the Holy Ghost, well, you're still going to reap what you've sown out there in the world. It's going to take a while of planting that good seed in your life to begin to reap the good seed. So at first, you're going to reap that harvest of evil. And uh, so he says, you, you've got to learn to hang on until you, uh, and just keep planting that good seed and planting that good seed and planting that good seed until finally you begin to see the fruit of it uh, come up in your life. But the devil is going to test you. He's going to tempt you. You've got to prove that you're worthy of that seed that you've received. Everybody's going to be tested. Um, in fact, one place Jesus talked about there is no man that had left house or mother or, or sisters or brothers or houses or land. He, he mentioned all these other things. He says that will not receive in, in this life, uh, you know, a hundredfold. But then he said, one among the list of good things, he said, he said, with tribulations. So you're, you're going to receive good things. Uh, be assured here today, you will receive good things, but you're also going to receive tribulations. That's just part of it. Remember, you're a sojourner here. You're a pilgrim here. And I, I'm reminded of another verse of scripture. And I really didn't plan to get off into all this, but um, I'm reminded of another verse of scripture where uh, the apostle Peter and, and please give me just a moment to try to look this up here. But the Apostle Peter was uh, talking to uh, the believers he was writing to in 1 Peter. And uh, he one of the things he told them, he says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. He, he said, as though some strange thing had come upon you. And notice how in, in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse number one, he introduced it. He said, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers. And that word strangers can also mean exiles, can also mean pilgrims. Over and over, he referred to them as pilgrims. He said, remember, you're strangers here. You're pilgrims here. So don't consider it a strange thing when you start to face tribulations and persecutions and temptations. That's part of being a stranger and a pilgrim. You're a foreigner here. People's not going to understand the way you dress, the way you live, the way you act, the way you talk. And, and surely the old friends that you had before are not going to understand your new lifestyle. And, and they're going to say, well, I miss the person you used to be. Um, and I remember a story that was told one time of a uh, young man that um, a church had won off the street. He was literally living under a bridge. He was homeless, uh, begging for food. And they won him off the street. And after that, he became successful in a business. 
Uh, he went home wearing a suit to his dad and told him about what uh, had happened to him. And his dad said, I wish you were back under there, under the bridge, rather than what you are now. That may be hard for you to understand, but uh, that was the devil speaking through that man. And, uh, and, and, and so let me just tell you this, the devil is going to test you. So if you're a new believer here today, just be assured the devil is going to test you. Don't be discouraged by these persecutions. Don't be like those that, that by and by are offended, but stay strong in the word of God and uh, prove yourself worthy of that good seed that you've received. Okay, uh, remember what Jesus is going to say to those that are saved. He's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He's not going to tell you well done if you haven't done well. Uh, you need to prove that you're worthy of it. Okay, so let's let's go back now, and I'm going to talk about the different types of temptations uh, that Jesus went through. N number one, uh, and it's we're going to compare these three temptations to First John chapter two and verse sixteen. It says, "For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world." So let's look at the first temptation here, Matthew chapter four, verse two. When he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. Okay, before we proceed, let's talk about Jesus' 40 days of fasting and his purpose. Now, remember, Matthew is presenting him as the new Moses. So as the new Moses, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, just like the old Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, uh, verses 9 through 10, when I was gone up into the mount to receive the tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant which the Lord made with you, then I abode in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. I neither did eat bread nor drink water. And the Lord delivered unto me two tables of stone written with the finger of God, and on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake with you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. So when Jesus comes out of the wilderness, he is going to establish the law of grace or the spirit of the law. Uh, he didn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill it. Okay, so the Jews had learned the technicalities of the old law, and thus they knew how to interpret it for their own good. Uh, example, the law of divorce where they had literally come to the place where if a, a woman burnt her husband's food, she was, you know, the man could divorce her if he wanted to. And so uh, before Jesus could teach um, this law of grace or the spirit of the law, uh, fulfill it and teach on the mount uh, and on the mountain, he must first fast 40 days and 40 nights and be tempted, tempted excuse me, or tested. Uh, number two, as the father of the new Israel, he must succeed where Israel failed. He was led into the wilderness to be tested. Well, let's read what happened. Deuteronomy 8, 2-3. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Jesus quoted this passage in response to Satan's first temptation. In fact, all three scriptures that Jesus quoted were in reference to Israel's wilderness testing. So Jesus succeeded where Israel failed. Matthew 4 and 3 says, And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Satan tempted Jesus first with the lust of the flesh. This would be an abuse of his power for selfish gratification. Could Jesus have turned the stones into bread? Yes, he could have. But uh, this would be an abuse of his power. Now, Joseph was tested with Potiphar's wife. 
If he had failed that test, he would have proven himself unworthy to serve as ruler of Egypt because he would continue to abuse his power to fulfill his own lusts. His brothers, Reuben and Judah, failed the test of sexual testing. Uh, one thing I was reading the other night, also Levi and Simeon failed the test as well because when their sister Dinah was raped, the Bible says that uh, they made an agreement with Shechem and with his father and with the men of that land saying, if you'll be circumcised, we'll give our daughters to you. We'll let you have Dinah as your wife. Uh, but when they were uh, circumcised, they went upon them while they were still in pain and killed the men. And, and, and this is what it says. It says, Levi and Simeon. Now, I've never caught this before, but it said that Levi and Simeon went in to the land and they're the ones that took Dinah back and they slew all the men of the land. But it says, then the sons of Jacob came upon the spoil. And I was reading a commentary and it said, actually what happened was Levi and Simeon went in and they killed the men. But then the other brethren uh, picked up on what uh, Levi and Simeon had did. And while they did not participate necessarily in the slaying of the men, they came upon them and took of the spoil and of the women of the land. And it said they were possibly selling those women uh, as slaves. So this is a horrible thing to do. And, and it kind of it gives an illustration as sin grows. And I've talked about that before. Uh, you know, just because somebody sins, they may think, well, this isn't going to affect anybody but me. But somebody else might pick up on your rebellion uh, and, and they might say, well, if it's okay for them to do it, it's okay for me to do it. So that's what happened in that case. But Levi and Simeon proved themselves unworthy. Then obviously the rest of the brethren proved themselves unworthy by casting their brother Joseph into a pit. They would have all abused their power, albeit for uh, sexual purposes, for uh, with anger and, and jealousy and envy and, and strife and all of these things. Uh, they would have abused their power. And whoever came into that, that position of power would have to be somebody that God could trust not to abuse his power because he had to be a testimony uh, of, of God's covenant with his chosen people. Well, Joseph was the only one that passed the test. He was the only one that passed that test. And uh, so let, let me get back to this at hand here. Jesus responded to this temptation uh, with the scripture we previously mentioned, Matthew 4 and 4, it says, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So rather than engage in a psychological debate with Satan, Jesus responded by quoting scripture. Satan is a master manipulator, and if you converse with him on a human level, you will lose. Paul said we cannot fight this warfare with carnal reasonings. Ephesians 6, 12 through 17, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, one thing I will say about this is, he said, above all, taking the shield of faith. Why above all? Well, um, it's obvious that the fiery darts of the wicked one are darts of doubt and fear. Uh, and you can read in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. Well, if God didn't give it to us, where did it come from? It came from hell. The devil is going to attack you with darts of fear and of doubt. And the only way you're going to be able to quench those darts um, is with the shield of faith. And, and there's a lot of things I could say about this, and I'm, I'm going to try not to get distracted. But um, one thing they said back in the olden days, and I've, I've done some study on this, they said that the Roman soldiers would take 
their shield and they would soak it in water. One of the reasons for this was uh, that sometimes people would shoot darts of fire. They would light them on fire and shoot um, and shoot the arrows at them. And uh, the way that they would stop this is to to douse or to cover the shield with water so that it would put out the fire when it hit the shield. And, um, and, and this is something that I find very interesting. He says, uh, above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench, uh, to put out, in other words, all the fiery darts of the wicked. Then he says to take the helmet of salvation. Now notice this, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the only offensive weapon here is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. It's your only offense. All the rest of this is defensive weapons. One of the things I want to point out here is the helmet of salvation. Why? Because the devil likes to play a lot of mind games. And the way you're going to overcome him is to put on the helmet of of salvation. You can't do it with your own means, but you can do it with the helmet of salvation. Then I think that clearly illustrates that one of the ways he's going to attack your mind is telling you, you're not saved, you're not saved. Well, put on that helmet of salvation. And I, I like what one man said. He said, don't doubt your experience, confirm it. The devil's going to tell you, you didn't really talk in tongues. The devil's going to tell you, you didn't really uh, received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And, and that baptism, that was nothing more than just a, a ritual. Um, you're not really saved. Well, put on that helmet of salvation. And then the Bible says, and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The only offense you really need is the Word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 4 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, I often hear this quoted, but I don't hear it quoted in context. The context Paul is writing in, in 2 Corinthians, is he's talking about those that are opposing his apostleship. He said, we're going to come there. And, and he said, this time when we come, he says, we may walk in the flesh. People may keep pointing out my flaws and my idiosyncrasies and my failures and my past and, and, and the weakness of my flesh. And he said, but uh, though we walk in the flesh, we're not warring after the flesh. He said, we don't come with just carnal weapons, but our weapons are mighty through God, not through our own ability, not through our own flesh, but through God to the pulling down of strongholds. He went on to say, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So, he said, when we come, we're not coming confident in our own flesh. We're coming confident because we have the power of God on our side. That's how we're going to overcome those doubters. That's how we're going to overcome our accusers and those false apostles that have been accusing me falsely. We're going to overcome them through the power of God. So don't respond to temptations by using carnal methods. Uh, you know, rehab is good. Counseling is great. But the greatest weapon at your disposal is the Spirit of God. You will not have power over temptation without prayer. And, and so many people say the power of positive thinking. I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking here today. But what I'm telling you is the Word of God is powerful. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful. That means living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints of the marrow. And it is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Uh, the devil is going to continually attack your mind and put thoughts in your mind and then accuse you for having those thoughts. But the Bible says that the Word of God can discern between the thoughts of your mind and the intentions of your heart. Just know that the enemy is going to constantly accuse you, going to constantly tell you you're not saved, you're not saved, you're not saved. Don't doubt your experience, confirm it. Go back to the altar, 
pray, uh, pray all over again. Let God touch you all over again. Go back to his word and his assurance. The Bible says, for the spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Another place it says, for you have not received the spirit of adoption, uh, 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 you have not received the spirit uh, of, uh, of bondage, excuse me, again, to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. This is how we cry, Abba, Father. And that speaks of God in the most intimate terms as our Father. But you can't cry that without the Spirit of God. And he says, the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Then he said, then if children, then heirs. So you can be assured that if you have the Spirit of God, you're going to be an heir as long as you continue. And don't allow the devil's temptations and his, his uh, mind games to get you off track. That You're going to face persecution from your family. You're going to face persecution from your old friends, from your old life. But you've got to stay strong. Okay, now notice the second temptation uh, that the devil uh, gives him. Matthew 4, 5 through 6 says, Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Again, Satan begins his temptation with, If thou be the Son of God, attempting to introduce doubt into his mind. This is a reoccurring theme in Matthew. Matthew 27, 38-43 says this, Jesus being on the cross, Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Now, was Jesus the son of God? Absolutely he was. Um, in fact, I, I'm reminded in, in, and we see here that the persecution is coming from his enemies. But, uh, but we're also going to see that uh, it's going to come from his very own household, from his very own brethren. And uh, that is found in the book of John. And if you'll just give me a minute, um, I'm uh, uh, I'm going to try to find that. Here we go. It's Matt. It's uh, excuse me, John chapter number seven and verses one through six. It says, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. Here we are again. Now notice, uh, Satan said it. If you're the son of God, prove it. Uh, then you have them on uh, the, the ones reviling him on the cross, the one thief, and then also the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the soldiers, all saying, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross. Well, notice now the opposition comes from his very own household. His own brothers tell him, uh, depart hence and go into Judea, that the disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, if Thou do these things, show thyself to the world, prove it. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Now notice there's something so powerful here. And, I, and 
I feel the Holy Ghost, even as I'm talking on this, I didn't pr- plan to get into any of this, but maybe somebody that's listening or that will listen will uh, will need to hear this. It says, for neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, my time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Go you up unto this feast. I go not up yet in, unto this feast, for my time is is not yet fully come. So at this point, remember, his brethren did not believe in him, and they said, come on, if you're really the Christ, why don't you just prove it? Show yourself to the world, because the Bible says his brethren did not believe in him. But keep reading in the Bible. It tells us later that we have evidence that his brethren did believe in him after his resurrection. He proved himself by the resurrection not by showing himself openly to the world during this moment when his brethren said, come on, if if you're really the son of God, prove yourself to the world. Later on, they did believe in him. So let me just say this. You might be facing persecution from, from enemies. You might be facing persecution from the devil. And then you might be facing persecution from your very own household. But here's the thing. If you'll just withstand that persecution, keep a good spirit, keep a good attitude, now, don't, don't engage in a lot of uh, theological debate with them. You may not be equipped for that just yet. You may not know a whole lot about the Word of God. Uh, once you're equipped, by all means, you can sit down and discuss the Scriptures. But don't get in an angry shouting fest with your brothers and sisters. The best testimony is your life, your life in Christ. Just live a life worthy of the name of Jesus Christ. And by doing this and by denying the things of the world and uh, by denying... Uh, uh, the temptations of the world, denying to live like everybody else of the world, you're going to prove that you are a child of God. And who knows, maybe eventually they will be won over. I'm reminded of a verse of scripture here. um, And I believe it is, uh, I'm going to have to try to find this quickly. Um, uh, I believe it's the, the word conversation here that I'm looking for. Uh, let's, let's take a look here. Yes, it's first Peter uh, chapter number three and verse number one. He says, likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of their wives. Now that may not be very clear to you, so let's read that in a different translation. This is the Christian Standard Version. It says, in the same way, wives, submit yourself to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live. Notice that. They may be won over without a word. That doesn't mean that you don't testify. That doesn't mean you don't tell your family about the experience you've had in Christ. Um, but what it does mean is that bigger than the words that you speak will be your conduct. And so what Peter's telling them is he said, wives, your husbands may not obey the word of God. They may not be a believer. He said they, they may not receive the Holy Ghost. They, they, they may not believe the word of God. They may not believe in Jesus. He says, but if you just live a righteous lifestyle in front of them, by your good conversation, the word conversation, the King James means lifestyle, by your good lifestyle, your husbands may be won over without a word by the way you live. So I think that's a very powerful, powerful, powerful uh, scripture in the Bible to tell us that even though your family may not be believers right now, Just keep living a lifestyle worthy of uh, the name of Jesus, and your lifestyle will be the perfect testimony to them, more than the words you speak, because you're probably not going to win them over 
uh, with with a whole lot of um, biblical conversation necessarily. But uh, now I think in some cases you can. But I think your lifestyle will testify a whole lot louder. And and we've heard it so many times said. But I'll say it again, just for the sake of those that um, that that are listening here today. Uh, it says what you. Uh, uh, what you do speak so loud, I can't hear what you say. Well, I, I think that is true. And so uh, notice, though, that remember, let's go back to what uh, they were saying to him on the cross. If you be the son of God, come down. But what's funny to me is the fact that if Jesus had come down from the cross at that point, uh, it would not uh, it would not have proven who he was. He proved who he was because he refused to come down from the cross. And I tell you what, we're going to stop there and we'll pick up next time. Thank you so much for listening to this lesson.